Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 314 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is the last day of March 2014. Got a big show for you talking about the scrimmage in the Coliseum or the control scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. First practice this spring in the Coliseum. We got a bunch of questions about it. If you want to question us, ask us a question. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or you can call us at 206 888 6755 leave a voicemail there or go to our website peristylepodcast.com leave a voicemail on there as well but we got dan weber coming up later on the show he was at the scrimmage at the coliseum and we have coach harvey hyde right now he was also at the scrimmage so we want to get those guys thoughts on what was going on with usc and we'll welcome in coach first coach what are you doing man how you doing how are you? Well, I tell you, it was a busy weekend, but it was a great, uh, beautiful weekend as far as weather was concerned and getting out to the Coliseum and Coliseum and seeing uh, the Trojans, some of the players, uh, their first time on the Coliseum floor, looking around and uh, seeing what it's all about and seeing a nice crowd at practice. Normally, you always have a nice crowd at practice, but because of the sanctions, they haven't been able to do that. But it's always great to practice in front of people because it picks up your practice and it gives it a little extra adrenaline boost, and uh, hitting a little bit helps also, but you look forward to it. And uh, talking to all our friends, Ryan, you stopped by. He saw me sitting in my secluded spot where I always hide there <laughs> behind the tunnel and enjoy watching the, the warm-ups and all the different activities. And also walking to that spot, talking to people who enjoy listening to the podcast and other things. We thank you for doing that. And we, I appreciate your comments too. When you say, coach, what do you think about this? Or coach, I didn't agree with you with this, but I agreed with you with that. So we, we have listeners. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. And, uh, Ryan, I don't know where you want to go with this, but uh, there's so much to talk about in the world of not only USC, but college football. There is. So, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of topics we want to get to. And, uh, you know, first, I guess maybe just your your overall impression. Maybe we'll start with the – we'll go by offense and defense first. But maybe uh, on offense, what you saw from from USC, Cody Kessler, Nelson Aguilar are looking good out there. But I know you some of the two-back sets you wanted to comment on. Just get your thoughts on how the USC offense looked. Well, I thought that the uh... – for the first time out there on the field, I know they're a little bit excited, too. And whenever you're excited, you're overexcited, you, you, you make some mistakes and so on. But I don't see the mistakes that you used to see all the time. And I don't know how many of you agree with me, but I, I don't see people jumping off sides. Uh, it's great not to see a delay a game. It's great not to see an illegal procedure. People are lining up in the right spot. You're not having to see the quarterback say, hey, get over here, get over here, get over here or do this, or get off the ball, or move on the ball. You, you really, you can see the teaching that's been going on. And that goes back to the practice schedule that they're using. And I really agree with the practice schedule. The practice schedule is exactly the same type of practice schedule I had. Well, you see the results. You don't ask a kid to do something until you've thoroughly explained it to him so he understands what he's doing and you don't move too quickly I used to always hear before under the past coaching staff, oh, you got to learn the playbook. The playbook's all of what it's all about. Oh, he can't play as a freshman because he doesn't know the playbook. What are you talking about, the playbook? <laughs> I mean, you know, just teach your athletes to line up right and use their athletic ability, and why do you recruit them? And what I love, as I mentioned this before, I don't see athletes running around the field in the Pop Warner drill. If they drop a pass, they run around the field. If they... Uh, you know, do something wrong, they run around the field or, or whatever. I like to see people involved in the practice, teaching when you can teach and not wasting time. And the way they start the practice, they always work with the specialties out there and they get out early and they do their stretching and individual coaches are walking through their drills and teaching what they want to teach as far as what's coming to 
during the practice. Then they go to stretching, which you always do. And then you go to your individual technique drills, what I always believe you have to do. You always have to be correct with your steps and techniques, and you see that always being topped. Taught. Then you go to your group drills where you go through and review, and then you walk through and teach also new techniques that you're going to be using during the practice. Then you saw them go to team, where they went through team, they did a little scrimmage, all the things they had worked on and taught, they worked on and scrimmaged on. Then they went back and went through the same type of group drills again, where they taught new techniques and new plays before they came back and did more team at the end of the scrimmage. So I thought the practice schedule was organized just like I would organize it, teach, then do. Don't do and then teach. Don't teach during the drill, teach before the drill. Make sure everybody understands, and I see that going on in the practice field and during the offense. Uh, that's the number one thing that I notice. We haven't got to the players. We haven't got to what they're doing and who's throwing the ball or catching the ball or the two-back set. We haven't got to that, but before you get to those things, you've got to have a formula on how you're going to teach those things. And right now I think their practice schedule is one that kids are learning. And I don't know, this was their first time on a in the big scene, in the big stadium, as far as under this coaching staff and new players who have just come in. And I don't think there was an offside the entire game, or scrimmage, excuse me. I might be wrong when I say game, but scrimmage. Or defensive linemen jumping offsides. Or um, there was one illegal procedure, and I think, I can't remember everything, but you guys got all the stats. I don't do stats. But I just like the way the practice flowed. And I think that's important. And keeping it to two hours, kids don't <laughs> pace themselves. Let me tell you what happens. When you have more than a two-hour practice or the kids don't know how long a practice is going to go, they pace themselves. Believe me, they pace themselves. And this way, when you know it's done at one, it's done at one. So you don't have to pace yourself. And, you know, we can go through more of that, too. But I'm sorry I went so long on that. No, that's okay. I mean, I think that was good for the overall uh, practice and the, the way it felt and, and the way they went through drills. Um, I do want to talk about the defense, but maybe anything more specific on the offense that you saw that, that you liked. I mean, certainly Cody Kessler and Nelson Aguilar looked like it. You know, that was old hat. That, that was a, a great connection. But anything else you saw out there? Well, first of all, I'd like to clarify it for, for everybody. Nelson Aguilar, they, everyone's starting to say he's a new star. He was a star the day he walked on campus. I mentioned that when I saw his tapes in high school. This kid can play. It's not that he's all of a sudden a, a new rocket that's been launched. This kid has all the ability and probably has potential. I'm not going to say he's going to be better than Robert Woods, but he has the potential to be as good or better. Same with Marquise Lee. Uh, I bet if all three of them raced, Nelson, Nelson Aguilar would win the race. Uh, I mean, and, you know, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not putting down the other two kids. I'm just saying, hey, this isn't all of us and the discovery of gold, okay? This kid has been a great player, always been a great player, and will continue to be a great player. So let's give him credit. I think that, uh, you know, I've read in the papers on Sunday how this guy starred. and He's always been a star. I mean, it's just been, there's been a lot of stars at receiver. And you always hear me talking about waiting your turn. And he's waited his turn. He's played a lot as a underclassman, but he's been behind some great receivers. And I don't know if they've utilized all the receivers properly as far as putting them all on the field at the same time. That's when you, that's when you utilize your personnel. You always hear me say, get your best 22 players on the field. Whether you're an offense or defense, if you don't have a defensive corner, take one of your receivers and make him a corner. You've always heard me saying, I've been saying this for six months, and Ryan, you know this. I don't know if the rest of our listeners have heard me. When you have great running backs, start thinking about two running back sets and offense. How can you leave Buck Allen on the, on the bench and Trey Madden or Justin Davis? How can they not be playing? They've got to be playing. Somewhere they got to be playing, so you put together uh, some two-back offensive sets and series and plays, which just cause more difficulty for the defense. So they're starting to talk about that, which is great. You know, it's early, but at least they're talking about that now, as far as with the, the releases and your interviews with the coaches and so on. So there's a lot of good things happening on the offensive side of the football. I think Cody Kessler, as, as you. Uh, notice and as the reporters say and uh, our observers see say see out there too 
I think he's a leader. I think he's really doing a great job. And I think Max Brown has done a great job. He's smooth. He's young. He has a lot of pressure on him. I think Green has really performed well for a young guy. I love the way he stands and puts his hands behind his back. He has a towel behind his back. Every time he looks at the sideline or is watching, his hands are behind his back, like he's standing at attention. Or parade rest, I guess they used to call that in the service. But uh, he's intent. And I like there's only three quarterbacks rotating. It isn't like five guys or six guys doing it. There's two guys plus one. And they're getting their turns, and that's how you get better. Everything isn't equal. This is not intramurals. If you're a walk-on player, you're not supposed to get as many turns as everyone else. And if you walk on, you've got to understand that. So I, I think he's approaching that the right way, too. And if you're a parent out there, I know USC appreciates you paying the bills and your kid playing on that team. Because without everyone contributing, you don't win championships. Um, well, let's say offensive side, Coach. Maybe what did you see on the defensive side? Well, on the defensive side, I think you've got a couple of uh, – well, you've got one new leader, I think, in Antoine Woods. I watch – you know how I closely I always watch uh, the way teams work out in their individual drills and run, run from one side of the field to the other, and Woods is always a leader. Woods has a different attitude. Not that he had a bad attitude. He was a youngster. But he stepped up now and now is a leader on that defensive front. Leonard Williams is not out there, so someone's got to take over and do it. You have, you have uh, Palin, you have Simmons. They're, they're new, and you've got some other guys that are new. But Woods is a starter. It's out there. Uko's gone. Williams is not practicing, or he's observing, but he's not practicing. He doesn't have to prove anything. And this kid has taken over. I mean, he runs around the field. He takes pride in what he's doing. Pollard, obviously is a leader. You know when Pollard's in the game. He loves the game of football. You could say, you know, you can look out there and see who loves the game of football. There's players that are playing the game of football, but do they love the game of football? Do they sacrifice their bodies to the game of football? And there's some guys that do that and some guys that don't. Suva Craven, what can I say about him? He's a leader. He's a winner. He's an All-American. He demonstrated in high school his abilities. This kid's going to be a great player, not only on Saturdays, but on Sundays. I really like the way he plays. I think the secondary might be the most improved area. Currently now, uh, on the defense, everyone expected the linebackers to be pretty good and the defensive front to be pretty good. But I think the secondary, you're getting great efforts out of Hawkins. You're getting great efforts out of Kevin Seymour. I really like the way he's improved. But he's, remember, he's going against maybe the best receiver in the country and Aguilar, and he's step-by-step with him. So, you know, they got a, they had a couple of breakdowns in the secondary, but that's going to happen. That's communicating and learn to play together. And if you, if you noticed one thing, and I'm not being critical about the past staff, but you heard a couple of defensive backs say, hey, we're being coached this year. Uh, and I listened to those type of statements. We're being coached this year. Well, that means someone's actually working with you on techniques, talking with you, and not trying to look at the whole picture. And Clancy, of course, had was the responsibility of the whole picture. So uh, I think that the, the defensive backs are getting coached better. You don't have Josh Shaw out there. Out there, he's injured. He doesn't need to prove anything. I think he's going to be a fine leader. But by these other guys getting turns in the secondary, McCray, he's going to be a great player and others. Uh, I'm telling you, you get, you get your depth developed. And this is what's happening. Scott Starr is, is becoming a good player. Newcomers on defense, I would say Starr and Hawkins uh, is, a, is, a, is a good example. I asked you his number. I said, where's Hawkins? And you said, 29. I said, oh, that's the guy. Okay, so he's really come through. And, and McCray, uh, the, 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 the safety from Florida. You know, when you look at the players from out of state that are contributing currently right now on the, on the defensive side of the football, you look at McCray. Uh, and on the offensive side of the football, you've got uh, Allen, uh, you've got Isaac, uh, you've got uh, uh, Leonard Williams, you have Pellin, you have, uh, uh, trying to think, oh, uh, Quentin Powell. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to waste, my, waste your time by saying this. 
a lot of these out-of-state players are really stepping up and playing. I mean, they are really contributing. Nelson Aguilar, I mean, not to mention that guys from California and others aren't playing. Right, yeah. But I'm saying these guys who have come in, that they've spent the time on recruiting and gone out of state, have certainly produced and are starting to produce. So I take my hat off to that uh, type of recruiting. Uh, well, we talked about offense, defense, kind of how practices are run. And then the Chandler from Lakewood had a question, and it deals with special teams. We'll try to hit all three phases. He said, I'm a longtime fan of the team, extremely happy with where we're going. Uh, the only thing I see as a concern is a kicking game, inconsistent with field goals and absolutely horrible with punts. I've seen other punters give their teams excellent help flopping the field, but our guy struggles to get it to the opponent 40. What's going to be done? What can be done about this now? Well, is he talking about this year or last year? I think he's concerned going forward about special teams. Well, you know, I think John Baxter is an outstanding individual. I think he brings a lot to special teams. But you've heard me talk about this before, and uh, so it's not like I just discovered this today. But whenever I went to practice, you heard me say this, right, a hundred times. I thought the kickers kicked their leg out. I thought they punted too much. I thought they kicked too much. During the entire two-hour practice, they used to be kicking all the time. They lost all the rubber in their legs. They were dead. Their legs were dead. Early in the season, or like when I watched them kick Saturday, they are putting them through at 50 yards. Now, if you keep kicking every day, two hours a day, at the end of spring practice, they'll be putting them through at 20 yards. <laughs> it's it just that your leg can only take so many swings. I used to, when I coached, you guys might think this is ridiculous, we had special teams when we started practice. And our early outs would go out earlier and be ready for special teams, which meant the legs of the kickers were warmed up, the snappers were warmed up, the holders were warmed up. As we would go out and have special teams, my kickers would kick the ball. They would have all of their kicking coaches. I had a, a, a kicking coach specialist would work with them. And uh, when we were through with special teams and kicking, they left the field. I didn't just have them stand around and walk around and, and just – fool around they're distracting they would walk over and talk to other players when the drills were going on but they're bored so i would have them go off the field go into the weight room and uh watch video on themselves with their coach uh lift weights get training if they needed to but they've done their thing they're specialists they don't have to stand there for another hour and a half and watch practice uh, now, when we had special teams, when they needed to be a part of practice, when we went the whole thing, maybe they'd have to stay around a little longer. But they're specialists. But then also, I expected when the game was going on and we needed three points, they better be go in and make it. The first thing I'd do is look at the coach if they missed it. And the second thing, I'd look at the player if he missed it. And I'd say, hey, you know, you're a specialist. We treat you like a doctor. You're supposed to be automatic. So, you know, I put him in that type of caliber, uh, caliber and, uh, uh, and that's where I am with them. And, and I thought that under John Baxter, they kicked too much. They just kicked too much, and they kicked their leg out. That's really interesting. And, well, I mean, he looked actually uh, – he looked pretty good. <laughs> uh, kick, Andre Hadari kicked, I think, a 51-yarder in the scrimmage, so that, that wasn't too bad. Um, so we'll see what, you know, you got a new special teams coach. A lot of things can change. So we'll see what happens. But I do agree that special teams was a problem and people focused on punting inside the 20, which was good, but it was the more important part of punting is flipping the field. You're talking about, you know, five or 10 extra yards down inside the 20. That's nice if you can pin someone deep, but really if you're punting from your own 20, you don't want the opponent to be starting off at the you know midfield. You want them to be able to you know have to go the full length of the field. So I, th I think that's one area they really need to work on, give the defense a little bit of break and be able to flip the field. You um, know, but, you know, one thing I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I right. thought it's an interesting to, to bring out. You know, Coach Kivett took a lot of heat on that two point conversion thing. Remember early in the season, going for two, going for two, going for two that one year and the next year, you know, moving around and having the quarterback go on two or whatever. You know, that's not all coach Kiffin. That was John Baxter being too smart, trying to outthink himself. And they got the Trojans in some bad spots when they missed those two point conversions. There's times you go for two points and there's times you don't go for two points. And you remember how critical 
everyone became, not just me, because I'm not a homer, I tell you the way it is. But the media, the fans, they're all saying, what is going on? And I became paranoid that every time I saw them line up in that, I would say, oh, no, please, 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 please don't do it. Just take the one point. That's all you need. <laughs> Believe me. Believe me. So that's my thought on that. And so I, I, I want to just say you can outthink yourself <clears throat> and also try to outcoach yourself. So you've got to be smart on that. All right. Uh, let's see. We have another question. This is from Melvin. He said, I realize that Coach Sark wants to run the no-huddle, hurry-up offense, but does the lack of depth, depth problem that USC has due to the penalties present a bigger problem in running that kind of offense in the long run for the season? That's from Melvin. Well, I don't think so. Uh, first of all, I watch out there the drills they're doing, and all their drills, whether they're individual drill techniques or whatever, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is all predicated to one rep after the other. When I watch the defensive line, Coach Wilson work with the defensive line. They don't go one time and then go get back in the line and wait till eight other guys go. They'll do one drill through the bags, go back, get back in line, get in their stance, go through another drill with the bags, get back, get in their line, go back, do another drill, and another drill, and another drill. Then they go back and take a rest. It isn't like they go one time and then go back at the end of the line and get recouped. So when you watch practice, you notice some of the techniques that are being taught during individual technique and also during team technique that teaches a kid, and the kid all of a sudden doesn't even think about that it's a hurry-up defense or a hurry-up offense. They become conditioned mentally that we do this every day. What's the big deal? It's nothing to it. I'm not tired. I've done this all all spring or all fall or all my life. So it's a part of the mental conditioning as far as it is is physical conditioning. And I think that if you run a hurry-up offense, you score quicker than having to stand in there and drive down the field and, and, uh, and do that. So it works both ways. So I don't think it hurts your numbers in any way. I think that uh, you, you get conditioned, uh, you, get, you, you, re, you regroup, you recover quickly, and you're ready to go. So, no, I, I don't buy that yet. You know, you got to do what you got to do, and this is what its philosophy is, whether you have, uh, you know, whatever the deal is. I don't think so. Okay. Um, Coach, there was one other uh, topic that came up. Well, before we get – I wanted to talk about this, uh, what what's happened with the Northwestern players with you, but was there anything else on the scrimmage or, or what you saw out there you wanted to kind of share before we jump into that? Uh Let's see. Now you hit me cold with that. Sorry, I wasn't sure. Like, if there was other topics, or you know, we we kind of talked about all. all well, three yeah, I, I'll tell you this. I think it, it's good to see Zach Banner at right tackle. I think he's a right tackle. I don't think he's a left tackle. And I like to see him in there playing as many plays as he can, one after the other, one after the other, like they did in the pass rush drill. When he just stayed in there and went one after the other, he went three or four straight drills. It wasn't like he regret recouped. This kid's got to be a player. Uh, you've heard me say there's kids out there when it's time you pay for the food you've been eating. And that's by getting on the field and performing. You're recruited to be a starter. All these kids are, potentially. There's a five-star kid that's got all the ability in the world. All he needs to do is get in his mind mentally that he's going to be a football player. Uh, and his dad was a football player, and, and he probably had to live under that his entire life, that will you be as good as your dad or you'll never be as good as your dad or whatever. So he's got that problem. But I think he could be a great football player, and I think he's a right tackle. I don't think he's a left tackle. And and I'm glad to see him over there playing the right tackle spot, and that they just moved him there for a period of time because they're working the other kid at center occasionally. I don't know. But I think that's where he should be, and I think he will get better there, and he needs to finish the block. And I saw him get in good position at times and, and, and make nice blocks, but he needs to – Use his athletic ability and outpower people. I mean, flatten block. I used to call him flatten block. Just flatten him. You know, just don't block him. Knock him out. Finish the block. And and he if he does that, I think he'd become a great player. So I wanted to say I liked him over at the right tackle. The music drill, I, you heard me earlier say, I haven't heard the music <laughs> uh, in, in practice, but I heard the music Saturday. 
I don't know if they've been doing it during the week because I don't go to the weekly, uh, the Monday uh, or whatever days they are, Tuesday, Thursday practices. I go to Saturdays when I can see more and let evaluate it better. Than, sometimes if you see it every day, you don't really see the big picture. So uh, the music, they play the music now during the team drill scrimmages, which maybe is good because of, of uh, noise as far as the, that you normally have in the stadium. I thought the team at the beginning of practice looked a little tired. It was a morning practice. I don't know if they were up. They'd probably been out Friday night, moving a little slow because they've been practicing in the afternoons at 4. So at first I thought they sort of lugged around and the heat had got to them a little bit. Uh, Bigelow, I wanted to watch Bigelow. I think Bigelow's still got to push himself a little bit more. He's He's a better football player than what he's playing right now. He's got to push himself. He's got to put himself where he can step in and play when needed. So I watched him uh, a little bit on that just to see how his conditioning was coming along. And if he listens to this, he knows I'm right, okay? (laughs) Because I saw him rest at times. So I'm rest at times on pass rest drills and so on. So, you know, Kenny, you got to pick it up a little bit. I talked to Kenny on recruiting day, the day that he signed his national letter of intent when we were doing our radio show. And I told him, I said, you ready to play? So I'm ready to play. But there's a lot of adjustment from high school to college, and you got to play every play. you got to play hard, even if you're being double teamed. And sometimes when he's being double teamed, he sort of says, oh, hell, I can't beat two guys. But you got to get on it and get it done. So basically uh, I think that uh, that was my summary uh, as far as uh, Aguilar and how good he was, the two-back offense. Uh, and all of that. So I don't want to dwell too long on Saturday's practice, but as a recap for you that were there, did you see what I saw? If you didn't see what I saw, that's okay. And uh, we'll see what we see next Saturday. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, good, good recap there, Coach. And then the one last topic I want to talk about, the ruling that came down with the North, uh, Northwestern players that they could unionize and it could have a potential impact down the road. It's not some... It's just like I think the first step that could, you know, there could be a lot of things happen after that. But with uh, private institutions, it could be really interesting for a school like USC. But what did you think about what the, the ruling that came down about that they could unionize? Well, uh, first of all, my thoughts were, oh, gosh, guys don't have anything to do. They ought to be in the library more. They're not. They've been missing the weight room. Uh, I think that players have always been paid. Who says they haven't been paid? Uh, let's take USC, since this is a USC show. It costs about $60,000 or more to go to USC. Uh, do you pay taxes on that money, players? Or whoever that might be. Northwestern's probably just as expensive. I, I don't know what type of taxes they paid, but they got free education, and normally their parents would have had to pay $60,000, $65,000, and it's non-deductible, Okay. That means they had to make maybe a uh, a hundred thousand more for that for that sixty they spent. They had to make ninety thousand, let's say. So I think they're already being paid, uh, room, board, books, and tuition. I mean that costs money. So if you want to be paid sixty thousand, okay, then pay your taxes on that, and then come up with the other twenty thousand to pay for the rest of your tuition. I mean, okay, I think they have a point as far as maybe they should now with the billions being made, but you don't have to join a union, uh, but you have to pay union dues and all of the rest. But I think the NCAA should uh, listen to some of this and say, you know, with the money and the coaches are being paid and everybody knows how much the ADs make and the players are not getting this, I think they deserve a stipend. I really do. And I think that you all don't have to take the stipend. What I mean by that is, let's say, uh, each player during their four years in college have a $10,000 allotment, stipend. Now, some players drive BMWs, or some parents say, thank you, son, for pay, getting, playing football. I don't, you don't need the stipend. you got a credit card for your gas and your shirts and meals. But let's say kids don't have that money. Well, let's have an account they can go to, and there's a maximum that you can get a month, like if it's 300 or 500. So it lasts over the period of 
time that a student athlete can take $300 a month to have a social life or buy a dinner for somebody or buy a pair of shoes. I think it would take a lot of the extra, I don't want to use uh, cheating, but maybe uh, people helping athletes because they feel sorry for them because they don't have that type of funds available because players don't have time to work anymore. Who are you kidding? Football goes year-round. You have time to work? you got to be kidding me. And then I also think, and, and they have to pay this back now. Don't get me wrong. They have to pay this back. It isn't something that's a gift. They have, it, they have to pay this back like every other student in college when they get a loan have to pay it back. It isn't like a gift. No. Now, it's a non-interest loan, but it's something you have to pay back. Now, I also think there's responsibility on players, too, that if you come out early, we'll do this, but when you sign a national letter of intent, you're signing to stay at USC for four years or a minimum of three or whatever you want to say. I'd say four, because I don't like this coming out early. Okay? Now, if you come out early, if you come out early, you're going to pay back all the money that we spent on you to pay for your first three years, son. Because we've paid for all these three years to get you ready for what you think is now an NFL career. Now, this son's going to think, well, what if I don't make it and I still owe that money? Well, that's what you have to decide. So I think it'd be another way of keeping student-athletes in college as far as and getting their degree, which everybody's so critical about it, players leaving and then they're your your graduation rate drops down, and because you got to count it, that kids will be more careful in coming out early because they're going to have to pay back their tuition in college. But you've used this as a stepping stone, not an education, but a stepping stone like a minor league to move on. Now, also, if it goes through and it becomes a union, union what makes you think all these universities want to employ union players. What if they all decide that we don't have union players work for us? Where are these players going to play? They're going to form their own university <laughs> and play and get a degree. At least now you go to college, you don't pay taxes. You have the opportunity of getting the degree and playing NFL football and becoming part of a university. So I think these kids are smart kids, but I think you've got to look at the whole picture. And a lot of you out there might be saying, Coach is full of it. He doesn't see the big picture. I do see the big picture. I see the big picture that I think an education at USC or a lot of universities are worth a lot of money. And it's absolutely free. And you don't pay taxes. And you travel all over on trips. And you meet friends. And a lot of your friends have become your family. And one of your friends goes on and discovers something that has a big company, and who does he hire? He hires you. Football is great. All athletics are great on the next level, but how many people play on the next level? I think that these things we're talking about need to be hashed out, but they don't need to have a union because you're going to pay union deals, drill fees, and everything else. What, are you going to have strikes? You're going to have strikes now if they're not getting enough money? I mean, please, let's, let's, let's work this out and plan it where both sides can win. No, I agree. And I, I mean, there's a lot of – it's a slippery slope. You're talking about you'd have to pay taxes on that sixty grand. Could you get fired if you're an employee? I don't I mean, there's a lot of different – yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with that. But it, you know, we'll see what happens. But that was just – that's the first interesting ruling. But thanks again, Coach, uh, for coming on the show and uh, sharing your insights. And glad we got to see you out there on Saturday. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Everyone else, we're going to be back in 30 seconds talking with uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, 
or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. We're going to talk all about the Coliseum practice slash scrimmage, whatever you want to call it. There was actually real hitting, Dan, going out there on the uh, Coliseum. But we had a bunch of questions. I wanted to talk to you about what you saw out there. Well, uh, you know, I thought considering that uh, uh, two of the three tailbacks, you really <clears throat> considering, uh, you know, to be a, a factor this spring, weren't there, and Ty Isaac and uh, and uh, Buck Allen got his ankle rolled up a little bit, and they wanted to play it safe. So you're basically going with one tailback and walk on James Tolan, who at least we got to see, and he's been looking like that, you know, in practice. He's been showing us, and we've always heard, you know, what a great high school career he had, and maybe not against the greatest competition, but the kid can play. Uh, so, so I think we got to see something uh of of what we're going to see but just a little bit just a little little peek at it so uh i think the defense was real enthusiastic although it was obvious coach uh, wilson for example i don't think he was totally thrilled with the uh maybe the discipline uh, uh you know of his uh his, his front line group and, and what have you but uh you know they, they got to the ball they ran to the ball uh they made plays uh didn't see many missed tackles uh, you know, he wasn't as happy with, you know, how, and, and Sark mentioned that maybe they weren't as, uh, you know, they were not as crisp, uh, a little sloppy, which is what you really would expect, you know, first day getting a chance to tackle in the sixth practice. Uh, that's that's kind of what you would expect. But they got there quick. They got there in position. And uh, and, and you could see some glimpses with, uh, you know, when they have a, you know, the full roster, all the, all the guys that can play defense are back and playing defense. Uh, there's some uh, some real potential there. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some of these questions here first. So I wanted to start with we got a uh, question, a voicemail question from someone we actually both both met down there at practice dance. Let me play that one for you. Hey Ryan, this is Al from Fresno. It was good to meet you and Dan. Uh, at the uh, practice. Uh, I have a question. I saw the practice, <clears throat> came away thinking that it was a little uh, more aggressive, faster pace. Um, but as a person who's grown up around USC since the third grade and used to the student body left, student body right, and the traditional um, identity of USC, you seem like they're stepping away from that and going more towards the read offense. Um, we think um, the fans are going to think once they see that, and our the, the alumni and others going to um, uh, grasp this and, and, and embrace it, um, uh, or will they think that it's uh, moving away from the traditional style of football uh, that USC is known for? Thanks. All right, Dan, what do you think? Moving away from traditional USC football. No, I, I, by the way, it was great to see Al located, uh, uh, tracked me down, uh, located me under my sun hat. Uh, uh, so uh, nice to meet Al uh, coming down from Fresno uh, and, and glad to see him at the scrimmages as well as on the podcast. Uh, I think uh, Saturday would not be a, a representative uh, uh, sample of the USC offense because of the missing, uh, missing uh, t- uh, tie and, uh, and buck. So I think it became a little more uh, read and throw, for example. Uh, I know Cody likes that. Uh, uh, you know, if they're going to read, they're going to probably read and throw the ball, throw it over the middle, and there's quick slants, which I like that they're doing that. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, that was the thing that beat uh, beat Stanford, and it's the thing that, uh, you know, they had kind of shied away from uh, under Lane, and, and I think it's the kind of thing that you've got to have in your offense, and it's, Cody does it so well. And uh, so I think we saw more of that than, than probably – uh, we're going to see during the year. I think it is going to be a run-heavy, run-first, although Cody said, I don't know, we're going to be all run-first uh, and, and play-action. But that's what they did. They ran the ball first play, play-action to second play. And for the touchdown, uh, uh, on, a, on a really, really great throw by Cody to uh, uh, to Nelson. And and so I think you'll see a lot of that. But, um, but I think they're going to pound the ball. If you look at Sark's uh, track record at Washington, they had one, you know, one back, and they pounded the ball with three backs, and we'll see what they do with Justin. And, and, and honestly, gosh, a guy like James Tolan uh, gives them another weapon. 
But, uh, but I think they're going to run the ball. I think the difference is going to be you got the quarterback and the shotgun. And uh, with the quarterback and the shotgun, I you know, was an advocate of that for the last couple of years. I just thought they didn't block uh, they didn't block well enough. They didn't not have a pro-quality uh, offensive line to pro, you know, run a pro-style attack. You know, if you've got Alabama's offensive line, you've got uh, uh, Stanford's offensive line, you can probably you know, comfortably put the quarterback under center and look like USC used to look. And if you remember, those USC teams, it wasn't just because of the tailbacks, it was because of all those great offensive linemen they had. Uh, that was what set the tone for USC. Well, you know, once uh, you know, Matt Khalil and Red Ellison – uh, moved on to the NFL, that left USC without those kinds of, of offensive linemen and without the ability to, to really run that old, you know, pro style, really, you know, just pound it down your throat and make you submit. Um, so, so I think I like the idea. I like the idea of running more plays, running 15, 20 more plays a game. And I think a lot of those are going to be running plays. And I think they're going to uh, it just makes sense. So I don't think coming away from Saturday, you've got a, an exact feel, Al, of uh, of exactly where this offense is going to go. I think, you know, it'll it'll obviously be shotgun. I talked to Sark afterwards. The one thing, for example, I was talking to Marcus Allen not too long ago, and I guess the one thing uh, that guys that played, you know, the USC offense and then played in the NFL and that wonder about is, goal line situations and what do you do because you're snapping the ball back or short yardage situations. Are you giving up, you know, some things? Sark said they'll have a, uh, you know, special packages for that. And I think, you, you know, if you remember how they did it a couple of years ago with Mark Tyler as the, uh, you know, tailback of the shotgun, the Wildcat, I think you'll see more of that. Uh, you'll see uh, direct snaps to Trey, uh, direct snaps to Buck. So, again, I think it'll be heavy, uh, fairly heavy run. Uh, and, and power and, uh, and the kind of thing. But I think until we see where is this offensive line, what do they do best, who are the guys that are going to be out there, I don't think you can predetermine you know, that you can uh, really successfully uh, you know, go back to you know, where USC uh, was in those, you know, the great glory years starting in the, you know, the 60s under John McKay as to, uh, as to the kind of football they're going to play. Um, we had a question, Dan, from Jim and Canyon, and I thought this was kind of uh, interesting, and, and I didn't really agree with his take. I wanted to get what you thought about it. He said, but from what I'm hearing from other sources is that Kessler took most of the snaps, almost all of the reps, with the first unit uh, in the scrimmage on Saturday. Do you know what the count was? And if the count was indeed lopsided, it means that the new coach, despite his repeated claims that positions are open for true competition, has in fact already made the safe pick of the incumbent quarterback as a starter, no matter what the spring performance might show. And now I'm hearing the chorus of, quote-unquote, Kessler's arm strength. I can only hope that Max Brown gets equal reps with the ones in the final scrimmage so we can all see that Kessler not only has a stronger arm, but is actually taller as well. Players aren't dumb. If the competition is already over for the quarterback position, the players will tune out all of Sark's open competition talk in the future. Very uncaral, very disappointing. But fight on. That's Jim in Canyon. Whoa, Jim. Yeah. Hey, holy criminy. Come on, Jim. <laughs> um, you know, basically, as you, uh, they have pretty much uh, tried to give reps uh, fairly equally, equally in practice. Uh, Cody's gotten more first-team reps. Uh, Max has gotten more second. And you have to start somewhere. Uh, you know, both Zach Manor and Toa started second-team reps first week. They're getting first-team reps now. If you listen to Sark after the uh, scrimmage, he said that, Cody, despite, you know, having the advantage, having the, you know, incumbency, has improved more than Max has. And Max has, Max has more room to improve. So one might think it would be the other way around where, you know, Max might close the gap down. But, uh, but I think uh, what you're seeing is absolutely reflective of what's happening in practice. And it absolutely reflects what the players see in practice. So, to go the way you suggest would be kind of fitting into a predetermined, we're going to have this be an How'd that work out for Lane Kiffin last year? <laughs> uh, you know, giving everybody equal time in the Washington State game, for example. That worked out pretty well, huh? Uh, so I don't think you can have a predetermined, uh, we're going to give guys equal reps or whatever. You get as many reps as you earn, and you get as many first-team reps as you earn. 
And uh, <clears throat> when you've uh, when you come back and and you're you know playing the way Cody is playing now, you earn those. You you know you develop a chemistry, and there is something to developing a chemistry. And he and uh, he and Nelson you know have that chemistry, and it's uh, it'd be foolish to to look away from that. But but I don't think any of this is uh, is not. Uh, not to, you know determined by competition. I think it is. I I I do think you know Sark has probably worked really hard at not predetermining anything. And I think if you talk to the players, they would tell you that that that, that this is going to be reflective of of all the things that go into, for example, that position, all the things that go into being a you know quarterback and a leader. And uh, you know, Cody's done a a lot of good things. I mean the arm strength. It almost sounds like you want to have uh, have them sh- uh, share the reps in the final scrimmage so you can determine whether Cody's arm is stronger or not. No, you don't need to do that. His arm's stronger. I mean, just it's it's stronger every day of practice. Uh, Saturday, it's obvious. I mean, he's worked on throwing the deep ball. One of the problems last year is they didn't start out with enough trust to let those guys throw the deep ball. Uh, now they do have that, and they're really working, you know, working really hard on it, and, and combining it with the uh, with the play action run game, and uh, you know it makes a makes a big difference. You can throw those home run balls in there, so uh, so I thought I don't think I can probably agree with uh, maybe your premise that competition is important and predetermination is a bad thing. I could agree with that that it applies in this situation. I can't agree at all. I agree with you 100, percent Dan Jim. To, it seems like you're a Max Brown fan and you want to see him win the job. And I know there's a lot of Max Brown fans out there and, uh, you know, that's great, but I don't think he's being cheated here. I agree with what Dan is saying. I mean, it, the players know, and if you listen to coach Harvey Heidi talks about that, if, if someone's named a starter and he shouldn't be players understand that. And I agree exactly what Dan said. I don't think that's what the players would be saying in this situation. I think Cody Kessler has grown more and he's gotten better, but I think Max Brown has too. But the, Steve Sarkeesian said it just like Dan said, Cody Kessler's grown faster. He's been getting better at a quicker pace than Max Brown is. Now it's great that Max Brown's getting better, but Cody Kessler's you know, getting better than that. And the experience factor, I don't think you can just say that's the safe choice. I think the experience factor adds to him as a quarterback because he's been there before and done it before. It's not the end all be all, but it's something that's another feather in his cap. So to me, Max Brown, I think is going to be a great player, but he, if for this spring, he would have to, to be head and shoulders above Cody Kessler to win the job. It has to be pretty clear because of even that experience factor. So if they're even, you kind of have to give the edge to Cody Kessler because he has that experience. But like Dan was saying, it looks like he's a, you know, he, they, both those guys look like different quarterbacks, but I think Kessler's taken a few more strides ahead than even Max Brown has. So it's, it's, I, yeah, I feel bad for you, Jim, and I know you, it seems like you're a, a big Max Brown fan, but I don't think he's being cheated here. It's not uncarol like, and I don't think it should be disappointing for you. No, I, I think the other thing, the, what they're going to with the, um, the quick throws over the, the quick slants, the, um, uh, you know, re, uh, reading, for example, the defensive end, and uh, and putting the ball in the you know the running backs, uh, you know putting the ball out there for the running back and then pulling it back and uh, and throwing that quick slant plays more into Cody's strengths. I mean he's really he's a, a heck of a ball handler and a heck of a guy who um, you know in terms of, of making those plays uh, he he really does that well. And so they've actually gone to an offense that's that's. Uh, suited for him perfectly for Cody Kessler. Yeah. Um, all yes, right. Well, it's, 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 it, it more, it more builds on Cody's skill set than it does on, uh, on, uh, on Max's. So he's got a little farther way to go, uh, in order to, you know, to make this work just because, you know, they're asking some different things at the quarterback actually. And they are, and you know, and, we were talking about the kind of practice and, and what you've seen. And you actually, Dan, maybe before we get into other questions, you wrote a column about and, you know, kind of showing how practice really mattered. Maybe you can kind of share some thoughts on that, but how practice has mattered so far. Well, yeah, you know, talking about, you know, where the players weren't happy last year would be a perfect example. Buck Allen goes into the Hawaii game, fourth team tailback. You know, he does actually, Tommy Robinson still figures out how to get him in the game. 
and he goes busting down, you know, inside the five-yard line, runs over a linebacker, you know, ready to score, and they pull him out of the game. So he doesn't get to score. Players were not happy. Players knew what was going on. They knew how important Buck was. They knew how well he was playing. They knew he was probably the best player on the team at that point. He was certainly the one that wasn't hurt ever. Didn't miss a play, didn't miss anything. And yet, uh, you know, here he gets pulled out and starts out, you know, his fourth-team tailback. Those are the kind of things the players notice. They, they will notice that. Practice has to reflect. Uh, and and what, what you do with the depth chart has to reflect what happens in practice. If, you, if it doesn't, you really devalue practice. And, uh, you know, one of the problems sometimes is uh, when the head coach is a, is a big recruiting head coach, and then that's a big part of his, uh, his uh, you know, repertoire, is that you tend at times to want to make the, what happens on the field reflective of your recruiting as opposed to, what, what's happening in practice. And so, um, you know, you're trying to send a message with, with uh, the depth chart. You're trying to send a message to recruits and all of that. And that doesn't always work out so well. I agree with that. And I, I think that certainly has, has happened before. So, uh, but thanks for sharing that, Dan. Let's, uh, Melvin had a question about the wide receivers. He said, if uh, George Farmer and Stephen Mitchell are doubtful for spring practice because of injuries, can we count on them in the fall and for the upcoming season? And if not, then are we going to go with Aguilar, Rogers, and Blackwell? Therefore, do you think there's a good chance that Johnson, Harris, and maybe Juju Smith might get some playing time as true freshmen? That's uh, Melvin. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of possibilities uh, looking at that. I think George is, is – I would not call him doubtful, doubtful anymore. I think he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's real close. Uh, uh, Stephen won't be going in the spring, but uh, I just have a kind of a confidence in, in Stephen. So I think most everybody uh, kind of feels like those guys are going to be back. That it'll be, be it won't be their knee, knees necessarily that are going to determine, you know, where they fit in. And I still think you know they're going to give those freshmen a plenty of chance uh, on offense to show what they can do. And uh, so, but I, I don't know that we. Uh, we can focus. It's just one of those things. You'll you'll know when you know, and it's hard to say we know anything about that uh, right now. Other than we'll see. I mean, everybody thought you know Zach Banner wasn't going to be back really for spring. You know, maybe go through the motions and do the walkthroughs and and kind of see test himself. You know, now he's he's running with the first team offense and he's out there you know for every play. So he's amazed. We're amazed things like that happen uh, and it's really hard to hard to prejudge them no it is hard to prejudge in situations like that um dan i wanted to get into a little bit about what you saw i mean there was a limited amount of time for full tackling and you kind of talked about what you saw with the the defense and stuff do you, do you think that was helpful the way they they went out and did it it wasn't a, a full scrimmage it wasn't but they they gave them some time to actually hit and and take people to the ground do you think that was an effective way to run that yeah i think so. i think it makes the point that this isn't about uh the spring it isn't about you know this week they don't have a game this week they don't have a game you know in the next uh, 4 months or whatever it is 5 months uh that's what that's what matters. So I, I think they've made it clear to them, with the uh, you know increased emphasis on uh, the daily walkthroughs and all the hundred plays that they you know walk through uh, you know before practice uh, and that, that incorporates all the injured guys. That this is about the whole team and about the whole team learning what they're going to be doing, and and getting a taste of of how it's going to go, but without the sense of desperation that we have to prove that we can. Hit people. I don't think this team has to prove that they can hit people. I don't think they have to prove that they can tackle people, except for Brett Hundley. Other than that, I think they can actually tackle people. Now they're going to figure out a way to do that, and they'll be fine. But uh, but I don't think they're going to. You know, it matters uh, what they do in the spring, in terms of oh, you know, we got to play a full scrimmage or something like that. Nah, I don't think that's the case at all. I, I think they've kept it. Uh, very clearly, this is a learning experience. This is a, a chance to explore uh, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. And with the coaches the same way, saying we're going to see. We'll try this and we'll try that. And we're going to decide 
you know, what works the best, what has the, you know, the, the most continuity with our personnel and with what we know and do well. And so, so I, I like that kind of thing. And instead of making it into a little game, uh, it didn't need to be a game and just enough to get them, you know, they're back in the Coliseum and, and there's that kind of game situation feel, but without the sense of it's, it's more than it is. The, uh, I thought the Oklahoma drills were pretty good too. The way they got they got some more physicality uh, built in there with that. You can't go wrong with those. I mean, you, <laughs> you don't get anybody hurt, and they're just you know they're every they do every yeah. And and Ed went to those last year, and uh, this is that's really good for this team. Uh, it, it's exactly right. Maybe you can descri- if people don't know what those drills are. Maybe kind of give a, give a quick description of of what they do. Yeah, you know, one-on-one with the running back is the classic one where the running back is uh, is behind the, you know, they have the, uh, you know, uh, you can't go outside of, they've got the, you know, the cones marking where uh, where the back has to stay, where the, you know, the blocker has to stay. And you can do it different ways, but often it's just, you know, one offensive lineman, one defensive lineman, or one, you know, tight end, and linebacker or whatever and uh basically it's uh you know man on man and you know see who wins better man wins and you know big pile and collision and and yet because nobody's you know running full speed and you're not tackling anybody not you know taking them to the ground uh you know from from above uh it, it pretty much uh, you know a lot of contact a lot of technique but uh but not a lot of injuries so and and the and the kids are all around cheering, you know, for the offense or the defense, and so it, it does all kinds of good things. Uh, all right, well, I got a. We have one other voicemail question for you, Dan. It's a, about scholarships, so let me play that one uh, for you now. I know we've gone over this a bunch of times, but people still have questions, so we'll we'll try to answer them. Here's uh, here's the question. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. I'm an avid listener of the. Uh, Aristotle podcast, and I'm calling with a question that I just find overwhelmingly frustrating and confusing. Uh, apparently, when Max Woodick transferred, uh, Cyrus Hobby discontinued uh, playing, or players left early for the NFL, none of those scholarships can be used at, to uh, use on new players. I'm totally confused by that. Could you please explain the rules that preclude using those scholarships uh, on new players? It doesn't increase the roster size, and it doesn't seem to violate any of the uh, sanctions. So could you explain that to me? Has it always been the rule, and exactly what are the rules that prohibit using those scholarships for new players? Thanks. I would really appreciate a clarification of that. I, I enjoy your show a great deal. Keep up the good work, guys. Bye. All right. Well, thanks for that question. And, uh, yeah, Dan, people don't understand when players leave what, what the rules are, why you can't just replace them right away. Well, if this would have been probably any other university, they wouldn't have, wouldn't have done this. But uh, the NCAA is in a particularly corrupt and devious fashion in, in this case. Not only did they – uh, you know, limit USC's overall squad size to 75 for three straight years, 75 scholarship players for, seven, for three straight years, something that's never happened before in the history of the NCAA. They also wanted to make it even worse so that USC would not be able to compete with 75 scholarship players, as this year will prove to be. They're, you know, down to 70. And uh, knowing that normal attrition uh, with guys going to the NFL, guys transferring, guys getting their degree and moving on, uh, all of those kinds of things. Uh, the NCAA knew that USC would go below 75 scholarships, but to make it make sure that that would be the case, they said no more than 15 initial scholarships in any one year. Now, you would think that if your goal was to penalize a team for three years, make them be 10 scholarships under for three years, you wouldn't add the extra uh, limitation of 15 in any one year. I mean, any other school, for example, if you have fewer than uh, one year, you, you know, you recruit more than, you know, the next year. If you recruit, you know, 18 one year, you go to the 25 the next, but you get your, you get your uh, squad size up to the 85. 
you know, limit, but they, they knew what they were doing. They weren't, they, these are not stupid people or, you know, uh, well, okay. Maybe I don't want to say that, but, uh, <laughs> but the people who, uh, put that in there knew what they were doing and they knew that they wanted to cripple USC and they knew they didn't bother to check and see what, what kind of damage physically can you do to, you know, teams that kids, uh, they're only 60 65 scholarship players or in, you know, a lot of games last year, less than 50 scholarship players available. But, but they specifically added that, uh, 15 limit for three years on top of the 75 total limit for the three years, uh, in order to do that, they wanted USC well below 75 scholarships and, uh, and they've got, you know, they've gotten their way. Uh, and it's the one thing of all of the things that have been done to USC that are unfair. That's the one I would have, if I were USC, I would have said at the time, I would have challenged publicly in every venue possible uh, that that was that was uh, that was not right. That was as wrong as anything could be. And I think, you know, that's the one that you on the steps of the. NCAA in Indianapolis, when you call a press conference and say, this is wrong, you know, this is, we're not going to go over the 75, but uh, through no fault of our own or through the normal uh, workings of college uh, football or college athletes or, or kids like, you know, with Max Wittig and, and he chooses to leave for a situation, <clears throat> you know, he's earned the right to leave by graduating. He's uh, earned the right to get a, you know, a chance to play somewhere. You wish him well. You want him to move on. But to say then that you've done a, a great job with a kid like that and, and getting him through school, getting him his degree, getting him to a place where he can go and compete you know, for somebody else, to say that uh, that's a good thing that USC did. It's a good thing they're doing. It's a good thing Max is doing. That shouldn't be punished over and above what else they've done to USC. And I think USC could have and should have made that case much stronger than they did. Uh, just my take. Yeah, and I agree. And, I, I'm, you know, it, it's interesting that someone wouldn't know these rules by now, and I feel bad for all the other people listening because we've explained this so many times before. But I, I think it it's an interesting case. You have to kind of repeat it every once in a while so people really get it that there are two aspects. There's the total scholarships and initial scholarships, and initials don't let you do that. And the, if you look at what Penn State was handed down, which was supposed to be much worse than USC, they were down to 65 scholarships. Their initial scholarships were 15, the exact same as USC. So they were allowed to bring in as many people per year that USC was allowed, but they were supposed to hold 20 few, I mean, 10 fewer, 20 fewer than a normal 85 load, but 10 fewer than USC's 75. So they only punished you know, Penn State to go to all the way down to 65, they still let them bring in 15 a year. For USC to do 10 initial and 10 overall every year, I think was, like you said, Dan, uh, overly cruel. <laughs> right, and, and purposeful. They they wanted to take the program down. That, that, they, that they didn't and they haven't been able to, I think it probably puzzling to those folks. And, 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 and with the chance for this team to, you know, they, uh, if they're lucky and uh, you don't have a bunch of injuries in one position that, uh, you know, in a, in a particular week, uh, who knows what, the, you know, what this team could accomplish. Uh, I think there's, they could do some, you know, something that, that was unheard of and unthought of and, and, and unforeseen. I'm not sure anybody else in the circumstances USC has been in, you know, scholarship-wise, would be in a position as USC is right now to be looking at this coming year with the thought that they could be really good. Uh, yeah. that, that's probably not what would happen at any other, you know, university in the in the country, in terms of their football program. So, you know, it might be the kind of thing that you look back on and say, boy, they, you know, they, that's amazing. You know, or it, it, it may in the long run. It's just the thing is, it's just there's ten kids a year for ten, for three years uh, without USC scholarships, and that would have had USC scholarships, and that's really. What did they do, you know, to be punished? You know, what did those kids ever do? Uh, the NCAA, I don't know how they live. I don't know how some of them live with themselves. I mean, I think they're they're obviously most of them are hiding out now that we're on that committee on infractions. They're, uh, you know, they it was despicable, and the whole world knows it now, and uh, probably played into the fact that you know three years ago they were conducting uh, summer 
exercises in a, a typical, you know, infractions case and bringing in national media from all over and weren't getting all of that, uh, all the negativity now. But right now, when you, any story comes up nationally, the Northwestern Union story or, or the Ohio State AD getting an $18,000 bonus because uh, some kid on the wrestling team won an NCAA championship, uh, of course, the kid won't benefit at all. Uh, I guess you can't sell your uh, your uh, headgear in Columbus <laughs> uh, like in wrestling. Oh, maybe you can, but uh, but anyway, uh, uh, I don't see one person nationally who writes about college football or college sports defending the NCA. You know, you know, it comes up on a cable news show, and nobody has a good word to say about the NCA. The NCA, I think, starting with the USC case, has really destroyed its credibility and destroyed, you know, and then obviously with all the cases that followed that had nothing, you know, that it's built not at all on the USC case. And they went completely the other direction because these were, you know, schools that they didn't want to do anything to. And, you know, USC, they wanted to take down and they didn't want to take the others down. So they made special rules and handled it in a completely different way. Everybody knows now, you know, what's going on. And, uh, USC's had to had to live with it. Uh, they may actually survive. Looks like they will, but they should not have had to. And uh, and sending a Max Wittick off to do something good, we're hoping in the next two years and get a you know graduate degree and find a place to play at Texas. Uh, looks like uh, that'd be great. And uh, USC did a really good thing there, uh, even though the NCA wants to basically penalize USC again for Max Wittick. <laughs> I mean, here's, you, know, you got him a degree. You got him ready to go help somebody else. Here's your penalty, USC. Whack. You go with one fewer scholarship. That, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, we want to go down too far this uh, this, this uh rabbit hole here but we you know, wanted to touch on that again just because we had the question come in and I know he was you know, and I think one of the reasons it's hard for people to understand is you can't believe they would do that I mean you really and that's the NCAA plays on that when they go to court and what have you they tell these fairy tales about oh we're good people and professional people and you know well respected lawyers would we do something like that you know and people find it hard to believe that they acted that maliciously in the USC case, but unfortunately, yes, they did. They really did. Yeah. And that's the only other way you can look at it is this is malice. As the only legal person to look at it officially, the judge, uh, Judge Schaller, Los Angeles Superior Court, agree. They acted with malice. Yeah. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff, and. Uh... Somehow we always end up on it. You know, like, but, but thanks again for uh, coming on, sharing your thoughts. We're not on bringing it up this time. Okay? No, no. They, people we ask. ask. When they ask, ask us, we, uh, we, we answer. We answer. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoy the show, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.